When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the freaks come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. Welcome into From the Pink Seats podcast. I am Jacob Lane, rolling alongside of me tonight, Vincent Lococo and Matt McGavick, the co-host of this podcast here. And we keep it ro- keep it moving. Let me try that again. We keep it moving right along on our 2021 season in review as we continue to look back on the 2021 season that was. And more so now looking ahead. I think we're almost to the end here of looking back to last year on tonight's episode. And we'll start to mostly primarily uh, look to the 2022 season. But uh, last week we had uh, Cameron, uh, Cameron Teague from the Courier Journal and Keith Wynn on to talk about everything that is Louisville football from the ups and downs of the fourth quarter losses uh, from some of the bad stats, some of the good, some of next year, the prep for next year and all of those things. Uh, and tonight we're going to do the same thing with our friends from the, from main event sports. We'll be joined by uh, Haven Harrington and Rashawn Myers. You, you might hear them on the radio every Saturday morning on the big X. Uh, they've got a local radio show as well as the main event sports uh, Facebook page where they do a ton of great content there, put out a, a weekly live show. We're going to talk to them about the season, get their thoughts and then look ahead to 2022 uh, and from there, who knows what happens? Guys, you all ready for some fun? Let's do oh, this. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. We welcome the guys in now. We brought uh, some real entertainment in now. My, my guys from Main Event Sports, Rashawn Myers, Haven Harrington. How are you, fellas? Welcome into From the Pink Seats for the first time. We're honored to have you on. Man, let me tell you something. I am definitely honored to be here. As soon as you guys reached out and said you would allow me to be a part of this amazing podcast, I got excited. So I've been waiting for this day, man. Yeah, we've been trying to make it happen for a while and the day has finally come. So, you know, we're, we're just we're just fortunate to have you on the show. Right. This is your space now. You're our guest. Haven, how are you, brother? Man, I'm doing good, man. It, and to uh, I guess to just kind of reiterate what my buddy Rashawn says, but I'm, I'm, I'm as happy to be here as Bobby is to look at a brand new group of interns coming through the the stage oh my <laughs> god <Yeah. laughs> oh we are off and running here tonight. Oh, <laughs> oh man before we before we jumped on here doing the pleasantries exchanging of you know names and introductions for the first time of course we all know each other from the twitter world but it's funny we say you know vince played for bobby and the, and the fellas say man i'm so sorry it's it's hilarious <laughs> yeah, immediately <laughs> <laughs> poor Vince man like I said Vince has seen ghosts man sometimes <laughs> he comes out a little bit sometimes it, it was just as bad as you as as you think it as you think it is to be honest <laughs> you know what I could I really do feel sorry for you man because when I, when I came through U of L a lot of my buddies played for like John L you know played for Bobby 1.0 which I'm hearing is a completely different game than playing for Bobby 2.0 it's like not even the same dude that's what uh that's what Eric Wood would always kind of say post that it was just like two completely different people I'm obviously forever grateful for coach P for giving me that opportunity and stuff but I mean man <laughs> that was a rough uh, that was a rough couple of years I mean it was fun seeing a Heisman Trophy winner Hell yeah, that first year was pretty sweet. Absolutely. So traded your soul for the Heisman Trophy. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. but, hey, traded not two a bad. E's. That's right. Traded, <laughs> traded two. Oh yeah, that's before. true. Yeah. R.I.P. to Vince's ACLs, man. He's got the Dewan Blairs over here. No ACL. Just, oh, just, wow. just knee cartilage. Just kind of hanging out loosely in there. All right, man. Enough about the health of Vince's knees. 
we'll talk about that another time. Rashawn, let's, I'm going to come straight to you with this one, man. Give me your overall unfiltered okay. thoughts on how 2021 went. Really and truthfully, um, when I look back at that 2020-21 season, I look at it like uh, like Denny Green used to always say, they are, they are who we thought they were. And uh, one of the big things that we have, uh, Haven and myself, continue to harp on um, throughout the season is, was Coach Satterfield going to turn the corner in terms of having that heart to go out there and be aggressive early? Um, and, and I feel like the biggest thing that happened and the biggest confirmation we had was that literally, fellas, when you look at all three seasons, uh, the first three seasons under Satterfield, they literally all went down the same script where Louisville came out. Um, showed some offensive potential, uh, but um, Satterfield always played a very risk-averse style of football, and it would always take until around week six, seven, eight, before mm -hmm. he finally decided to get a little bit more aggressive and kind of come out of that shell. And the biggest thing me and Haven said coming into the season was, is he going to get out of this being ultra-conservative and go get it? And we saw the exact same thing play out this year that we have, you know, the, the, the last several years under him. And it was just to me, in my, my personal opinion, it was an abject failure. It, it was it was complete failure. Um, I think he's been very slow to learn. He's been very slow to adjust to this level. Um, and it's unfortunate to see because, you know, uh, unlike a lot of people, I think that the talent on this team deserved better and could have done more this past season. Yeah, that's a very fair um, analysis, especially, you know, I, I think that there's been a, this misconception since Bobby left in 2018 and Sat came in that there's not that the, that the cupboard was bare. That's something that you heard a lot back in 2019. They obviously proved that wasn't the case in 2019, winning eight games, going to the Music City Bowl, winning that. Uh, and they continue to, to build on those that talent that they have. Malik Cunningham is still their quarterback. So it's like I can I can completely agree with you that like last season, they should have won more based off of what they had. Haven, what are your thoughts, man? Let, let me hear what you've got. You've you've already got, kind of given me a little bit of the unfiltered to start. So I'm expecting more here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going. Uh, I called. I saw this whole thing while I started calling uh, Satterfield Ned Flanders, and I'm not going to stop now because <laughs> um, he's the Ned Flanders of the coaching world. You know, I agree with everything Rashawn said 1,000%, but to add to that, um, the dude doesn't have any heart. I mean, he doesn't have that, that attitude, that the swag that you need on this level of football. Um, you know, I'm still thinking from watching him play, watching him coach, his recruiting and everything else. It's like he's bound and determined to show everybody that what he did at App State can work yeah. at this level with, yeah. with making zero changes. Like everything I did at App State from 245 pound defensive linemen, uh, 180 pound linebackers, they're quick, they got good twitch. I can make that work at this level. Watch me make it work. I'm going to make it happen. And no, you can't. You know, I, I think Satterfield's a great coach. He was my first pick um, out the gate. But, man, you know, he just – he was very slow to adjust his mindset. He was very slow to adjust his game planning. He was very slow to adjust his recruiting and to get everything up and running to compete at this level. I think he really underestimated Louisville football. Like, Satterfield would be a great coach if he was a Wake Forest where they're okay with five, six, seven wins. Every 20 years, you play for AC championship game when the entire league is down. That's great for North Carolina. That, that's great for Wake Forest, for, for Virginia, all those other schools. But this was a program that had national championship aspirations. And I think he was just woefully unprepared for that, for those expectations. Um, and he's honestly, I think he's got lucky. I think Chris Mack and the basketball team has bought this dude like a ton of time. Dude, uh, he's got to send Chris Mack a gift basket of some kind. He I does. Mean, I mean, he does because he bought him like a ton. I mean, he should have been fired. He after this his house. I mean, like, he literally should have been fired after this season. The season unfolded exactly like I thought it was going to fold because to me, he still didn't learn. He still wasn't aggressive. Mm -hmm. he still tried to do the same three down linemen. Like, wow, you know your defensive line can't get a push. Why are you just rushing three and dropping eight when half the guys can't cover? Like, what are, what are you doing? The defense plays much better when you blitz. 
when you're aggressive. But you know what the long stretch of the game was like, nah, we're going to play it safe. Like we saw all last year, we're going to play it safe. I think around like the mid part of the year, at least with the three down linemen and the eight dropbacks, they, they did start to make some adjustments away from that and make strides on the defensive side of the ball but towards you know being more years aggressive. Of data to tell you that's not working. <laughs> I, I get that, but I, I I do agree with you to a, to to a point. But at least with that part, they did start to show like a little bit of evidence that they're starting to like evolve. Now, granted, it probably shouldn't have taken two and a half years to do that. No, I, I think you're totally right, and I think the difference in the two years. This is why you know me and Haven both say these are very good coaches. And these guys have given all of their players a good fundamental base. So I really and truthfully believe that the biggest difference between year two of and then, and then this past year really was more about the fact that these players have gotten better. We've seen them technically be more sound in the tackling game. We've seen them be better in all the little aspects, but the problem has always been um, the approach. The, the, the approach is very um, risk averse. So the, the, the problem is this, and this is why it's such a weird, weird dichotomy, is you have a team that is excellently coached and a team that's getting better from the fundamental side, but the thing that's holding them back is uh, more or less the game plan itself, the offensive game plan, you know, not really wanting to be aggressive and look to go down the field and throw the ball down the field and, you know, test throwing the ball over the top of the defense as well as uh, defensively. Let's just go prevent the whole second half, rush three, and what happens? Louisville loses. We saw literally the same game plan year two to year three, but I think that's a praise to the coaches that the players were better. We saw better defensive fundamentals. We saw better tackling. We saw all those things. It's more or less the game plan that's holding them back, not the fact that they're not improving the product on the field, if that makes sense. It definitely makes sense, but I will push back a little bit on that. I think that the more we've dug into the season, the more that we see – now, look, I won't disagree with you on Scott Satterfield from a game planning t- standpoint. I think it, situationally we've we've gone through the data. It'll tell you it, it needs work. It needs work. It's been App State. It's situational football. The rest of it, I can see enough improvement. Um, but what what I did see um, last year from Louisville that, that you know, just kind of – it makes you wonder is I saw penalties in matter and situations where Louisville had a chance to put a football game away. I saw fumbles when Louisville, you know, Hassan Hall, the, the option, if he just holds on to the football, he's gone to the house. They win that Virginia game. Uh, there are several other places throughout the year where Louisville, you know, just didn't have the right guys doing what they should um, in the right moments when it mattered. Um, just as much as when they did get set up in situations, Scott Satterfield let them down by calling, you know, very, very um, conservative football games. And these guys will tell you, uh, in fact, we did a show and we talked about New Year's resolution. And my New Year's resolution was for Scott to go spend a day with Bobby Petrino and learn how to be a dick, like learn to be a little <laughs> bit of an asshole and get that mean streak, because I really agree with you. I think what's missing right now from Louisville is that mean, aggressive streak, the chip on the shoulder, that we know that we're better than you, and we know that you don't think that we are, but we're going to come out and show you anyways. Scott Setterfield, I don't think, has shown that, but what I, what I will say, and Vince will back this up, is the players will die for that man. They, play, they have played so hard for him the last three years, but they, they've, there's been situations. They've let him down. He's let them down. It's, it's kind of this going back and forth. And now in year four, much like Chris Mack, you tell him, you either figure this out. That they, This year four for me is a win-win because you can figure out if it works, and if not, you cut bait, and you're in a, a, a situation to go hire another coach. A lot of it to me is like the, the, the U.K. game games yes. have been telltale signs of Satterfield's coaching. That's like – Satterfield's entire career in the microcosm is, is are the UK games where he's literally just punked out every game. Mm-hmm. Like he literally just punked out and the team, like the teams reflect their coaches. And you, you talk about, you know, having the players in the right position, not making the plays that's a reflection on the coach because they don't have that killer instinct that I'm not taking this shit anymore. I'm not going to lose by 55 points to my arch rivals. Let's put our shit kickers on and kick some shit. Rick Pitino yes. was tight every time they went out to play UK and Louisville got their asses whooped. Yeah. Like literally it's the exact same thing that's happening with, you know, what we saw for years with Rick Pitino and, and UK yeah. and what happened, what's happening right now with UK going out there wanting to kill them on the football field. And we have Louisville, you know, players wanting to shake everybody's hand and, and pat them on the back. 
Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that there are some spots. That's a very, I'm going to tell you right now, we've been doing this show for a year and a half. That Those are two of the toughest takes on Satterfield we've had on this show. Not that we haven't talked badly about him, but I, I understand the frustration in the sense of um, he's just proven, like, you know, my friends always ask me, what else is he going to show you that you haven't seen already? Um, and that's a good question. You know, that's a really good question for me. We talked through the off season and, and this kind of transitions into the next thing. And, and um, you know, Matt, you can jump in here in a second, but the off season, it had to be about adding power five guys, adding guys who have been there in that moment that have played power five football, whether it be at USC, even if it's at Duke, um, you know, a guy from Miami, some of these big schools where they can come in and they can plug and play and bring you that experience that you were desperately lacking. Um, so I guess my question would be for you guys, grade the off season. How's the offseason for Scott Satterfield so far comparative to what you've just told me about what you thought on the field took place? Honestly, the offseason, from a player standpoint, has been awesome. I'll give him an A. Okay. There we go. We're we're going back in the positivity train now. Okay. (laughs) You know what? Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not a hater. It's just I try to be as objective as, as I can. We'll look at a team. I know a lot of you are fans. A lot of fans. We're a fan of the team, but you really don't be objective because then you just have to recognize when you suck and what you suck at. Uh, but no, I thought this offseason, I thought he added, he added some good coaches. Yep. Uh, I know a lot of people wanted to see uh, Brown replaced, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's a co-defensive coordinator. Bobby did the same thing with Kevin Wolfhausen and um, other guys, name I can't remember, that came from Cassidy. Illinois. Yes, Cassidy, Mike Cassidy. You know, Mike Cassidy wasn't getting done on third downs. Wolfhausen became the third and fourth down coordinator. Um, worked out fine. Uh, it looks like Scott's doing the same thing. I know Scott, I know he didn't want to make wholesale changes to his staff. So he's kind of played around the edges, so to speak. Yeah. It's a nice way to put it. <laughs> of, of making changes to his staff, but he's greatly upgraded his recruiting. They, I know they said because they had to cut their budgets because of COVID, they didn't have the money to recruit. Now he has the money. Now he's going out there and he's getting all these great recruits. Something he can do. I call bullshit. Um, <laughs> honestly, think that they were just. I honestly think somebody sat him down. Was like, dude, listen. Uh, yeah, this ain't working. So I know, and I, I call a lot of heat off this off Twitter, but I'm gonna say it again because I don't care. I know when Eric Crawford had the interview, even though Satterfield never quote unquote said. We're not going to get four and five star dudes. I'm going to have to upgrade these three star guys because that's who we are. I know those words never technically came out of Satterfield's mouth, but for Eric Crawford to come away with that, uh, for him to write that or to speak on the radio, tells me that that's the impression he got from his conversations with Satterfield. From looking at Satterfield's recruiting classes, eh, it kind of bears that out. Yeah. I, that's fair. I, I can agree with you there. They've definitely had to trim some fat, prune some, prune some branches back. And you've seen some of those guys, we've talked about this, that have jumped to the, you know, FCS level that they've recruited. And that's a loss on Satterfield as much as it is the player, you know? Yeah, it is. But now Satterfield, I think he's realizing he's, he's getting guys in the big time programs that have those connections that can get the athletes in here. And I think somebody sat down, I was like, dude, we're going to be here. But this ain't going to work. So you better fix this now. And like fix it quick, and we're going to give you some people to help you fix this. There was, I, in my opinion, I think there was maybe a little bit, like a little bit of semblance of truth to that. Because I mean, if you look at the the history of Louisville football recruiting wise, I mean, is that not close to like what it has been for the most part historically? You you'll occasionally you get like a handful of four stars, occasionally get like those five stars, like a Bush or Brom, but then like for the most part, rely on like mid to high tier three stars and developing them. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that not kind of how like historically how Louisville football is recruited? That's how Louisville football recruited. We were in a big, uh, in in the AC conference USA. uh, And before that's how we recruited Bobby average about four, four star guys per class. Um, But Bobby did a Bobby 1.0 did a much better job (laughs) of, developing his players than Satterfield has done developing his guys so far. So you tend to put a little bit more, me personally, a little more stock in Bobby's uh, evaluation of talent. 
his comments reflect the same problem that I have with him on the field. They were very measured, they were very calculated, and they were very passive because everything that he's done since he's taken over has been very risk averse. So the dude even comes over apprehensive when he's talking about what he believes he can get done on the recruiting trail. Even if he doesn't go out and get any five-star kids, I want to hear my coach say, absolutely, we're going to recruit the best. We're going to bring in the best. We're going to get them all. You can still only bring in a handful, one or two or three, four or five-star guys, but you want a coach that's out there and aggressive. Everything that Satterfield gives you is the meek little mouse mentality. He's been Ned a Flanders. little mouse since he's been here. Ned Flanders, literally, okily dokily. That's that's what this dude has been the whole time he's been here. And that's what we don't want to hear. Louisville is a program in basketball and football that has been built on swag. It's been built on an aggressive attitude. Uh, we're going to take it because you know, if you, you're not going to give it to us, so we're going to take it off your plate. And that's the way that this program has always been built on. So to have these very you know, milly mouth, like limp-wristed, um, just passive guys. It's frustrating because this is a city school and it's built on that city swag. And if you don't have a coach that reflects that, I think you're really missing the opportunity to make things happen. But like you said, these players seem to really buy into him. They, they love him greatly, but you would want him to reflect what he believes. If he believes in his players that well, then he should go out there and show it every time he opens his mouth and start to, you know, show that belief that he has in those guys in those press conferences. That's all I want is just to be aggressive. You're a great coach, but you got to get a better attitude. You got to change your attitude. Um, Agree with you on that. Satterfield has had to kind of learn this new um, kind of this sense of pressure. I don't think he's responded well to the the pressure of being able to recruit well at Louisville, uh, being able to develop big, being able to kind of dream big. But at the same time, man, two and 10 is two and 10. When he took over, Louisville was a mess. Um, And, you know, so I, 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 look, I'll let, I'll let Vince kind of defend this one because he was in the locker room. He, he has seen firsthand. He, like I said, his PTSD occasionally will come out from 2018 when we start talking about that, <laughs> but Louisville, just from a, from a standpoint of, I mean, I don't want to, I hate the word culture because it is such a, a hot word when you, when it comes to sports, but we can all agree what we saw on the field, what we're seeing in basketball right now doesn't even compare to what we saw in football in 2018. Can we all agree in terms of oh, players? Yes. We, can, we can definitely right. agree. We can, yeah, and, we can oh, definitely yeah. agree. And what Satterfield has done, yes, it's it's been calculated. Yes, it has been um, risk averse at times, but he has, he did set himself up for, uh, you know, overachieving in, at eight and eight and five. I know most of those players were Bobbies, but he did develop Tutu Atwell. Let's not act like Vince. What, what when you look at Tutu Atwell, we've talked about this. Tutu wasn't Tutu his freshman year. Bobby did not use him correctly uh, uh, at all. I would go as far to say that like Tutu's main development came with Brew. Mm-hmm. So Brew and then Sats plays obviously made him look good. I'd say the big development, and not a lot of people even realize this, is with Makai Beckton. Without Makai, without, without Led, without Sat, without Mike Siriano, Makai Beckton is not a first-round offensive tackle. I'm telling you all this right now. Makai – Oh, big thing you know, coming but, out of the draft would have been, uh, does he love football? Can he finish? Uh, or is he just some big dude that we're going to have to wait around and develop all this time all this time with? So, And, and there we go. Evidence of set. It's like Rashawn, I said, he has the ability. I mean, yes. the coaching acumen is yep. there. Yep. It's the heart. Put it this way, he's a much better coach than Charlie Strong. I that think. is it. That's a take. I I freaking Ooh. love that, man. I, I think Satterfield, I, dude, they don't I say Satterfield. sat in his bag for no reason, man. He's yes. a, he's he is a nasty play caller when he when he does it without being egotistical. Satterfield is a better coach than Strong in the, the technical sense of coaching, right? But when it comes to like that swag, getting that killer instinct and that extra that extra oomph you need to take you to the next level. Strong had that in spades and Satterfield doesn't have that at all. And that's kind of what you're seeing now. Like, yeah, Sat has the X's and O's and can do all that. And just like Sat is a, is a, is a great offensive mind. Like Charlie Strong's a great defensive <clears throat> mind. The difference is that Charlie had that swag. I'm going down Miami and I'm getting everybody I can get. 
We're gonna get the top players. I'm not gonna play the Crags dudes. I'm gonna play all my dudes as freshmen, and we rolling. And stop me. Kentucky beat me once. They ain't beat me again. When I play Florida in the Sugar Bowl, I'm smashing them. We're smashing everybody. You got the, you got the coach acumen, but it, you got to have a little extra hate in your heart, so to speak, to kind of get you to that next level. Josh heard like both him and Sad have mentioned the past couple months that there's a whole different like facade to Satterfield that like a lot of us in the public eye and in the media don't see that he, 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 according to both Sat and heard, he has this, that fiery like front, like with his guys in the locker room that like, we all don't see. And like, I, I, I can believe that, but like it, it would behoove him a little bit to maybe sort of convey that sort of attitude in front like in more of a public eye, just to you know convey the message that he does have that, so that we don't his have opponents don't, his opponents don't see it either. <laughs> I need him to come out at halftime at the beginning of the game next year and put his hand out right when the opposing coach is going to shake it and pull it away right through the back of his head. Like I need, I need a little bit of juice from Sad at midfield. Like I, you see, you see when you like they show the videos, and I know it's kind of like propaganda at times with little football, but when you see kind of talked about going back to this earlier, you, you see Satterfield in the locker room, you see the coaching staff, like sometimes your coach doesn't have to have that extra layer of juice. If you've got the guys around them and we've seen Ivy, we've seen Nick Cardwell, who's uh, obviously coming back now as the tight ends coach, which is a fantastic hire by Satterfield. We've seen these guys around him be able to kind of bring that, that toughness. But I, I do think that the kind of over the edge this year is Satterfield himself being a little bit more swaggy, a little bit more aggressive, Let's see if maybe he comes out in like some skinny jeans next year for a game. You know, maybe that'll maybe that'll that'll give him a little bit more street cred as we get going. There's a lot that went into this season. It, it was what it was. Ends up being six and seven with the lost Air Force, and the there's a lot of storylines and factors that ended up playing out and having technically a losing season. But the biggest uh, factor in some of these outcomes. <laughs> was like towards the middle of the season and a couple times down the stretch where just Louisville couldn't finish the deal. There is that midseason stretch where they went one and four, and in each one of those four games, they it was marred by an inability to not be able to finish in the fourth quarter or just the second half. Like we saw that Virginia game, and that just absolutely collapsed. We saw the Clemson game, NC State to an extent, where you're tied with them, or I think you're up by one entering the fourth, and then NC State does what they did. And then – to a little bit of a lesser extent in the Air Force game, but now even though Louisville never, never led in that game, like they they couldn't, they were getting close, but could never like get over the hump. Now we, we've kind of talked since the end of the season and in the regular season really ad nauseum about what in the world went into the these collapses and what are some of the uh, extraneous or outlying factors that kind of poured into what why these things occurred. Um, but I'm I'm curious. From your guys' perspective, what do you think was the biggest factor in these fourth quarter collapses? Well, one thing that I will say is I don't, I never want to understate exactly how debilitating the loss of Monty Montgomery was, both as an emotional leader and then an on the field presence. Um, He was literally the heart of the defense. Um, And while I will say that you've got to figure out a way um, to get over that. Um, I think that Monty is an aggressive personality. So even when you are playing a more passive style, guys like Yasir Abdullah, guys like Money Montgomery can still get there and still make themselves felt on the field. So I, I think that that was a huge part of it, especially during the middle of the season, because he gets hurt, what, against Central Florida down the end of that game. Um, And, you know, it took them about four games to really steady themselves after that. So I I think that had a big part to do with it. But I think it just really goes back to, if you look at a lot of these games, Louisville was in all these games and they had opportunities. Um, But I I think that it's one of those situations where once again, you just had a a staff that was kind of uh, averse to really wanting to get beat over the top. So what we saw a lot of umbrella coverage, we saw a lot of rush three and, and, and drop eight. Um, you know, and, and it's just one of those those simple things where I, I think they just played not to lose. And, and until like, you know, like you talk, this is the ACC. 
Okay, if you want to be one of the best, you've got to go out there and take the games. Like, I've seen too much of Louisville wanting to lean on their run game and, you know, don't get beat over the top and just play bend but don't break. And I think that's the biggest problem. You know, what, you know, Haven talked about Wake Forest. One thing about Wake Forest, though, they're going to at least go after that, you know, that, that goofy claw fence or whatever the hell that is that they run. <laughs> is is <laughs> terrible but at least they're aggressive at least they're going to get it that they're not playing um not to lose and I, and I think that's the biggest problem is that um the stature and the the way teams dispositions usually get in the second half is to be more aggressive as we close down the stretch where Louisville has more or less been a, maybe a slightly more aggressive early and then let's try to run out the clock in the second half and I think that led to a lot of issues truthfully the last two years what about you Haven uh yeah I kind of agree. I mean, that's it's kind of been my whole sentiment with, with with Satterfield is instead of playing to win, you play not to lose. And you cannot play not to lose. You know? Uh, you know, we we saw it against the Virginia and the other schools this, other times this year where they get a lead, especially in the second half, and then you you can see the play calling change. Like you can see the play call, you can you can feel the whole energy of the team change as they know. That's going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball. We're going to play a lot more zone. We're not going to tag. We're going to keep everything in front of us. And, you know, like I said, your, your team reflects your coach. And as you start to call those plays, as you start to dial back to aggressive, it's, it's hard to get it back. Like once you dial it back, it's hard to flip the switch and get it right back unless you have that overwhelming talent and we don't have overwhelming talent yet. No, we have life talent, not better than it's getting there though. That 2023 class is building some serious momentum. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of returners here and uh, we took about four years to get here. I mean, I mean, he's lucky to get this far, but he's like the first coach since craft to have like a back-to-back losing seasons. Normally back-to-back losing season on football means that you're packing your bags out the door. I hate even saying this because it's, it's it's very cliche and we've just, just said it several times, but they're Don't right there. It. Don't they're say right it. They're right there. Don't I mean, Rashawn it. said it first. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he, bar- he he said it just in a different way. They 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 really are just right there. But to your credit, they they do have to at some point get over that hump. Louisville's competitive, and w- what's going to save Satterfield? What, what's going to buy Satterfield for another two years? Is this recruiting class? Mm-hmm. They'll probably buy him at least almost another two years. You know, but but you know, we'll see. I I, I think Satterfield will will figure it out, and I think that we will be better. My fear is that Satterfield will be a perennial seven to nine win dude, which almost make like almost unfireable at that point. Let me ask you this: Is that not a yeah. good spot to to be in? Like, what what should be, in your opinion, what what's what is the 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 kind of bar standard because if you're winning seven to nine games now more i would love obviously to be on the set the nine and eight side of things but if you're winning that many games now i i, I you got to think you're in a good spot overall right i mean you're not you know uh, I, I, the general fan base in your opinion what what's the, the expectation because that's a that's a high bar well here's the thing i think expectation of global fans is global fans want to win a national championship in football or play for AC championship in football. And well, seven, eight, nine wins do it. Probably not. You probably gotta be 10 or 11 to do it. And I think that's that's the bar. Every conference Louisville's been in is a football program. We've always played, but like three years of being in our conference, we've always played in a conference championship game. This is like the first time we have being an ACC. The ACC is not better, in my opinion, than the Big East 1.0 when we were there. The landscape was different with college football. Like, was there an Alabama in the early 2000s? Yeah, you know. Miami, Ohio State. Oh, yeah, it was completely different. I'm talking about when Will was in the Big East. It was us, West Virginia, South Florida, Rutgers. um, You know, know, those are my Rutgers on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. But (laughs) that was a better, you know, top to bottom. That that was a tougher league than where we're playing now. I mean – Granted, ACC's been kind of down since it's been there. It's been Clemson and everybody else. Because uh, Florida State's been down. Miami's been down. All the teams you expect to be good have not been good except for Clemson. Um, but, no, I think that's what that's what little fans expect because that's what we're accustomed to. That, that's what we always have done. And I and, and I don't see why we, we still can't do that. We're in a perfect position to be the foil to Clemson. 
we have everything that other AC schools don't have. We got some of the best facilities. We're an urban school. It's easy to recruit guys, especially South Florida guys, to come play football for Louisville. Never had issues like getting that, that, that Florida pipeline of talent coming through because they want to, you know, they feel comfortable coming to a big city with a whole bunch of other black people there and not out in the middle of nowhere. You can make it happen. You know, we'll see. I, I think Louisville fans probably will start to get complacent though with seven, eight, nine wins. Yeah, I think that's been kind of the biggest fear, uh, you know, and, and me and Haven uh, actually start, started seeing this and talked about it a lot on the main event sports show even last year was that with the current status of how Satterfield coaches, um, I think that he'll always be good enough to retain his job, but maybe not good enough to win a championship. And, and that's kind of a scary proposition to get to um, that, you know, you get to kind of that seven, eight wins, but, you know, to win a championship, you have to have a certain level of aggressiveness. And, and the hope is, is that he's going to learn that and take it to the next level. Um, and, and that's kind of the question, right? Is because, you know, but between, between the, the PR department and between Pierce Clarkson kind of injecting this whole giant um, steroid level excitement into the fan base, um, he's losing on the field. And, and the problem with this past year is the ACC was not good this past year. And Louisville, while yes, they may not be recruiting at the level of Clemson, there was only a couple of teams that probably had more pure talent than Louisville. And Louisville, in past years, if they had as good or better talent than the other team, they won those games. And the last two years, Satterfield has a losing record versus teams that he's had at least as much talent as. And that's the problem. You cannot lose games to teams that you have at least as much talent had, uh, you know, as Louisville has. And, and that's kind of the fear is that if you're not winning those games, how are you going to get over the hump to actually compete with the Clemsons or if God forbid Florida State turns it around that let's say they hire Deion Sanders in two years. Florida State's you know, not turning around. <clears throat> not under hey, Mike Norvell. <laughs> if, 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 no, but if primetime comes in that door in a couple of years, that changes that whole aspect. You know, what if Miami comes back and actually gets themselves together? That, that, that's the, the issue is that Louisville's not taking advantage of the situation. Why do you think Kentucky got so good? It's because Kentucky took advantage of the SEC East being down and beating teams that they had just as much talent as. And, and that's where they've kind of built this myth that they are this power in the SEC because they just took care of business. And the problem is Louisville's not taking care of business in games they should be winning. So that's going to be the question is, can Satterfield at least beat the teams that he should? And if he does, that's a guaranteed eight to nine wins every year as the ACC is currently constituted, in my opinion. It, yeah, it's hard to dispute that. I mean, honestly, the ACC, <laughs> God, it's like the, the East Coast Pac-12, man. It's just, it's just <laughs> oh, we get God, the benefit of that. being that's on at 12 so o'clock in the middle of the afternoon afternoon that's the only like that's the only benefit is you don't have to stay up that it's become the middle of the pack has become kind of muddier and Louisville has moved into it and and that shouldn't be the case because I agree with you Haven the facilities are of a top premier program you know and Vince you walked around in those facilities every day I would and and so far you know it's been it's been mixed results so all right let's do this we're going to take a quick break step away uh and do a little bit of advertising here on the state of Louisville podcast network and when we come back we're going to move forward into the 2022 season. Psst, you. Yeah, you. Enjoying this podcast? Like sharing global events and news with like-minded individuals? Love being a part of the global community? This podcast is part of a first-of-its-kind podcast network at thestateofglobal.com. With daily news and opinions, seven podcasts, webcasts, and more, the State of Louisville is your home for anything and everything Louisville. Check them out at stateoflouisville.com today. All right, welcome back to From the Pink Seats Podcast. Thank you for listening to those glorious commercials. We got to pay the bills around here. Now, let's, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, obviously, oh. everyone and their mother has narratives upon narratives upon narratives. I mean, some of the more important ones, well, not important, some of the more prevalent ones where, you know, the fourth quarter collapses, the defense having a little bit of a step back, yeah, back. you know, yada, 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 yada. But, and we've kind of asked these questions to a few guys who have come on since the end of the season. What do you think was the biggest narrative that, 
didn't get enough run. And it's a, it's a two-parter. What's the biggest one that didn't get enough run? Those positive narrative and the biggest one that was negative one. It might um, take a second to think about it. <laughs> I think the biggest narrative uh, that didn't get talked enough that was probably more of a negative um, and it's something that I've noticed with Satterfield uh, since he's been here is that um, I feel like Satterfield kind of gets tunnel vision on guys on his in his offense. Um, the first couple of years, I feel like he kind of got that tunnel vision with Tutu Atwell, uh, whereas, you know, there were maybe some opportunities to get other guys involved more in the offense. He kind of got you know, kind of tunnel vision on trying to get every play to Tutu. Let's run a reverse for for Tutu. Let's throw 85 bomb passes to just Tutu, and you kind of forget about everybody else out on the field. Well, this past year, we saw, okay, Malik Cunningham's our best player, so let's just bound and, you know, bound and determine. We're just going to get Malik every touch and every touchdown. We're not going to hand the ball off to the running backs as much as we should. We're not going to actually get on Malik when, you know, you could run that dive play and get pick up the first down or get the touchdown in the red zone and Malik's trying to make, make 85 guys miss and you end up getting tackled by uh, Air, Air Force seven yards behind the line of scrimmage when you could have probably handed up the middle and got a three-yard touchdown run. Um, and I think that was one of the things that really got dismissed because Malik's numbers were amazing. But the one thing that I hope to see as we move forward is more feet in the studs. And I think that's been one of the issues that, that we've seen with this Louisville offense while they've put up great numbers. I think that there's a lot more opportunity there um, by getting more guys involved and kind of opening it up because from all accounts, Louisville should have a lot of playmakers coming back on offense. So you would think that you could kind of spread that out. So Malik's not having to be a 20 and 20 guy. There's only, you know, there's only what been two guys that's ever done that before. Uh, you know, there's a reason why that usually doesn't happen. Uh, with nice balanced offenses because you know the whole second half of the year everybody knew that Malik was going to get the ball and try to keep it every time in the red zone and, and I think that really hampered uh, you know some of those numbers with Louisville scoring in the red zone Louisville had its lowest red zone uh, scoring percentage of the the first you know three years of Satterfield in that last year because I think they got so tunnel vision on trying to make everything about Malik uh, so if that was one thing I don't think got enough talk about because of his pure numbers I think that I'd like to see that change in 2022 surely you have something good to talk about well, what's something <laughs> come on, I want to I want to I want to hear positive Rashawn for a second okay, all right, well, all right, so, so my positive this, is this is Haven has been dogging the Louisville defensive line uh, for the last several years. And I really thought that one of the things that did not get enough credit was how much better the defensive line did at the point of attack. Louisville had an excellent year um, in terms of getting stops, tackles for loss. Yasir Abdullah became an absolute star this year. The fact that he's coming right. back this year is humongous. So you get mm -hmm. back Monty Montgomery. You have Yasir Abdullah when I think everybody thought he was going to the NFL draft. Um, I think that this Louisville defensive line could be the best that it's been in it since probably since strong was at Louisville. I, I think that this, this defensive line has an opportunity to be special. Um, I, I think that they have a lot of talent coming back. I think, uh, you know, while Sailor Brown may not be ready uh, for prime time yet, I think there's a lot of guys that came through that red shirted that are going to have an opportunity. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that the defensive line showed those strides and I thought that pass rush was a lot better. Um, you know, we saw them control the line of scrimmage against Clemson, even though Clemson's got four and five stars everywhere. And while yeah. Louisville didn't win that game, Clemson didn't just run Louisville over. And right. I think that's one of the things that could be a very good positive heading into 2022. So that, that that's my yeah. positive is that D line. Yeah. Okay, good. And before I ask Haven what he what he thinks the more underrated storylines, kind of building off of what you said about how Louisville's going to have a very good front seven, guys. Who's going to be the guy on the front seven to watch for? Who's a, who could be a sleeper? I know you know who I'm thinking of. Who 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 on this show do we have an alert button for? Oh, Marvin Dallas. Oh, Marvin Dallas. Marvin Dallas. Marvin Dallas, yeah, Dallas alert. I, Marvin Dallas alert. I, I'm saying, I'm telling you now. I think he's got to get more consistent with knowing where he's going. Marvin's got. I've been harping on this this since we've been talking about this Marvin Dallas alert, if he could get more consistent out there, he'll, he'll be an all ACC guy for us, but it's all, all right. up here for him. He's got, he's the most athletic kid on the team, but 
we'll, we'll see. I mean, and, and hey, Ashton Gelati was everything that they hyped him up to be at the beginning of the year, got hurt and dinged up against Wake Forest. And it just about the end of the year to kind of get back, but he started making an impact those last couple of weeks of the season. But if he can come back, be healthy with what you have coming back with Yaya Dallas and what he started to do the second half of the year, I'm telling you with Yasir and Monty, that front seven could be ferocious. If they let these boys off the chain and let them go. And That's I'm gonna, gonna be the question. Ashton, Ashton's got braids now. I just saw dude, Ashton's got Twitter, cornrows, so, man. So we gotta talk that about that, y'all. I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so Ashton's glad you brought that. We got the swag back. I mean, we'll be fine. <laughs> all right, all right, Haven. Now I want to hear what, what you think. What do you think was the was the narrative that didn't get enough run? Wasn't talked about enough. It's gonna surprise you guys. Coming from me. Um. I don't think it's gonna be a Jeff Brom tank. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) No, I was, I, I I was not one who was in a Jeff Brom camp. So thank you. Okay, I'm not a Brom. All right, there's there's one guy off the bring Brom home list. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. We can do. It's not Haven Harrington who is running the bring. I was I was in for bringing Deion Sanders in. That that was my choice. Yes, sir. Um, uh, But I think something doesn't get enough run was when Louisville was being aggressive. Now, this is the caveat here is when we're being aggressive, the defense overperformed. And I don't think the defense got enough credit for when we were blitzing and playing aggressive to how well the defense could play when we kept the foot on the gas. I think that got overlooked a lot with their fourth quarter collapses. Um, It's how well they played for the first three and a half quarters before I think the fatigue set in um, and the non-aggressive play calling kind of pulling things back and then trying to ask them to ramp it back up again, which is like I said before, it's, it's, it's hard to do. I've got a, I've got a stat for you. I'm going to support your argument. I mean, I've got a great statistic here. Louisville gave up double digit scoring in the first quarter, only three times on the season. Three times. That's a great, that's a wow. great point. Yeah. Yeah. I've and I said, kept that little nugget handy for some at a later time. That was in my back pocket, just waiting to come out. Appreciate that. Hey, I'm glad I was able to help out. I'm glad I was, I was able to help out there. Now, that's my positive. Defense <laughs> not getting enough run. The negative is um, I think people really underestimate how much of our offense ran through Malik Cunningham, literally through his legs. Uh, like he it stretches he was the offense um and you can't have that it worked in 16 it worked in 16 when you have Mekhi Beckton blocking on your left hand side yeah, 2016 oh. is Lamar, Lamar Jackson oh. where we just put the ball in the best player's hands and let okay him. that's See, it's oh, that's close Petrino's old analogy of <laughs> no. put no, the ball that, in your best player's hands and let him go to work yeah, but that's different though that's when he had the greatest of all time playing the university not saying Malik is good. Statistically, what, like our second, third best? Yeah. Hey, but, we're headed but, but there. You can't, put the, you, can't put, you can't have the offense all run through him. And I think that was some of the problem. I think Sackville just leaned way too much on Malik's athleticism to kind of bail him out, uh, especially when the guy's prone to get hurt. Lamar was never prone to get hurt. Nobody could catch well, Lamar. That, that's fair. That's fair. Well, yeah. yeah that's- <laughs> Malik does a James Brown walk-off almost like once a game. Yeah, I don't think he's actually hurt right there, though. I think that's more dramatic. He's hamming it up every time. That's why I kept telling everybody, is he hurt? He is not hurt. I'm telling you, he's going to bust out of that tent and be like, I've been healed. (laughs) I mean, Matt Matt Summers and those guys do a great job of rehab, but he does not have good or he's not a, uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi magical hands over here. (laughs) I'm just saying, though, you know, you just can't run that much offense through one person, especially when you have playmakers, quote-unquote, a wide receiver that you can use. Malik was probably overused a bit, but when Malik is as dynamic of a playmaker as he is, I mean, can you fault him? Now, there are situational things. Like, of course, the the one that really stands out to me was that goal line against Clemson. I mean, I do agree at some point in in your four downs, you have to just run straight ahead. And we know we talked about that previously, but I mean, at least once 
you have to give Malik a chance to scramble it because like Malik is Malik is that dude. I mean, I mean Malik is I mean, Malik is that dude. But how but much you ain't going out athlete Clemson? That's that's yeah. the first problem. You're not going to out athlete Clemson. He was that <laughs> close to it. He was that close to it. I'm gonna bring no. up that cliche again. <laughs> no, but, but but seriously, I was like, how much more of a dude could you be if you surround a playmaker? It's like, how much better will Lamar Jackson be the Ravens if they ever gave him like a true number one wide receiver? That, no doubt. That's good. No doubt. I, and look, my my thing with the goal line and Matt, we talked about this. Marshawn Ford's numbers were were nasty last year and nasty in a bad way like you you got to look march on ford's way when he scored nine touchdowns two years prior um and and at the same time at the same time jacob the defense is going to look at that as a tendency and i mean if i'm a dc well they're going to also look at malik cunningham running the football as a tendency all right you're two the first two people you look at is malik and then marshawn you know what? Why? Just Marshawn's going to run that, you know, arrow flat route and Malik's probably. This is why. Uh, see, look, I told you guys, I solved this problem months ago. I told you guys more, more. Look, offensive, don't even. No, 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 no. Not the slant routes. This is the oh, offensive okay. lineman take. This is the offensive lineman take. You put an offensive okay. lineman at fullback on the one yard line. It seems like a no brainer from time to time. We like, come uh, on. Well, give, you know, like. Give, like, give okay, somebody so like, 300 pounds the ball on the one yard line and just get in there. Like, well, honestly, you know, like. I, I watched that that series several times. It's like on first down when he handed the ball off, you know, Clemson just blew it up. They, they just the guy was in the backfield as soon as he got the ball. He had no choice but to run lateral. Clemson just blew it up. The second time, it looked like Malik. It was like an RPO type of deal, and Malik decided to hold it. Uh, I think the third time the guy was covered, and the fourth time. Who knows? It was just as crappy. And this is what comes back to attitude, man. You know, sometimes he's got to be able to just say, okay, look, he blew up the first time. Heavy formation. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm curious. Okay, Sandra Bullock, run the damn ball. Run the ball, coach. (laughs) How heavy is our heavy package? That's true. Not very heavy. You know what I mean? <laughs> but no, no, no. I mean, I'll, I mean, yes. the O line has gotten beefier. Over, give yeah, them credit. I mean, the, the, yeah, they're yeah, over they three have. bills. Across I mean, the, the O line was probably the best unit on the team all year. I mean, and you're returning a whole bunch but of those guys back. Here's it, the, the, you just need like a supporting true. cast of beefier players. Uh, an orchestra and full symphony, I think, is is a good analogy here. We, we've got a bunch of instruments playing d- different music at different times. It's about bringing the or- orchestra together at the same time. Har- harmoniously is a better word there. I think the, the musical fans will enjoy that one. That's a good one. And if you're going to you run the option, then actually make Malik use the damn options in the plays and quit holding the ball. Oh, just get, give it to him. Just get, you, you know, I just feel like like we saw it in the Air Force game. Air Force knew that Malik was going to hold on to that ball, and they didn't even play the running backs. They literally could have handed it up off the middle and got a three-yard touchdown out of it easily. Instead, he pulls it, tries to run backwards, you know, five yards to get pick up eight yards. It just like I, th- that's the one thing that because I feel like like we talked about the offensive line was amazing this year. They so literally turned a corner and they were blowing guys off the ball. So run the ball. Like, don't get into the red zone and then go away from a unit that's been as good as anybody on the team. Actually, you believe in those guys and let him hand it off. Dive right off the middle, off tackle. Let's go. I mean, if you're going to run the option, the one team you don't want to do against is Air Force, who runs that every day in practice. <laughs> Move on. Let's look at let's look at the the roster top to bottom here. Guys, I want to I want to see what your all's thoughts are on the player that you're most excited for, the player that you I, I kind of have a close eye on in 2022. Uh Caleb, the backup quarterback. Um oh, Caleb Johnson. Johnson. Caleb Johnson. That's what I'm most interested in seeing. Um because much like Chris Mack, Satterfield's kind of whiffed on the quarterback position since he's been here. And he got bailed out when Malik decided to come back. Because if Malik wasn't coming back, I was pretty much just like, this may be like a three-win season. I don't care who, how much time they have. He's not coming back. Yeah, these guys may win four games. Maybe. Because um, he's just that important. But I want to see the heir apparent. I want to see the, the next guy up. I've heard great things about him. Um I heard he has a total package of stronger arm than Malik, a little bit better accuracy. 
I I just I just want to see the action. I want I want to see him in action. I want him to get some playing time this year. Um, but how I'm you know hopefully Louisville can get a lead where he can play and get some nice minutes in and get that experience. So next year he or the year after he won't hit the ground like cold, so to speak. But th- that's my dude. That's how I want to see play. Yeah, I, I'm just as excited. Just before Rashawn gives his answer, I know. Real quick, whenever uh, Johnson committed, I think it was like early last summer. I was like, okay, they got they finally got a quarterback commit, and let's see how good he is. I fire up the film. I fell in love with his game because the the most underrated part of his game, other than the fact that he's got tremendous like a tremendous arm, good deep ball accuracy is is, is good, not great, but it can get better. What really stood out to me was the fact that he he has the ability to move with his legs, but whenever he kind of not necessarily scrambled out of the pocket, but he, he had the maneuverability to be able to get around the pocket and still keep his eyes downfield and look for his guys and not just simply just, just scramble. That's what really stood out to me is that he was really adept at doing that part. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the newest transfer wide receiver. The guy that's taking over Jordan Watkins, uh, Tyler Hudson. Like that's the guy that I am hearing is, and uh, is going to be a monster. And and it's, it was kind of between Hudson uh, and uh, Tyon Evans, the running back transfer from Tennessee. Like, uh, you know, I've heard that, you know, Evans was by far the best running back on that in that Tennessee backfield and impact player when he was healthy. Um, so that kind of makes me nervous. And I also am already OK with the running back room as a whole. So I don't think he's necessarily as needed. But I think Louisville needs a go to impact wide receiver. So with losing Watkins, which I don't think anybody thought was going to happen, um, I really want to see what's going to happen with him he would probably be the guy that i'm most excited about because he is a guy who's getting a ton of hype um as far as defensively um <clears throat> you know of course you could talk about uh momo Sonogo, the the transfer from Ole miss and wanting to see what he he's going to do but truthfully i think that yasir abdullah is going to have an opportunity uh to become one of the best sack artists in the history of the school i, I think yep. that he's going to Whoa. be Peace, monstrous bro. Yes, hallelujah. Hey, I'm telling you, for sure. I promise you. And I think that having Monty back is actually going to help him because Monty's a guy that you have to account for. And with the the talent across that defensive front, I think Yasir's going to eat this year, y'all. So that's who I I love the defensive side of the ball anyway. So, yeah, yeah, Mm. feed him all night long. I I, I agree with you for sure. If if you you take Monty out like we did last year, and, I mean, it's very easy just to slide your protection to the best pass rusher, which would be a serious side every time. To whereas right. with Monty, you could hold him for a second, they slide that protection, and then next thing you know, Monty's finding the gap, sliding through, getting skinny, and getting a sack. So, I'm excited to see Monty. And it looks like his, it looks like his rehab's going well, too. I mean, if y'all see him running and stuff, but you never yeah. really know. Yeah. Look, All three of those I- guys who had the knee injuries, it seems like their rehab's going good. That's right. And I'm going to keep saying this until I'm blue in the face. I think people who listen to this podcast are tired of me saying this. Spring football matters this year. The guys who they need are not healthy. Bonnie Montgomery is not healthy. Control Clark is not healthy. Uh, Braden Smith is not healthy. That is going to force these young guys who could not execute when they were put into positions to figure it out. Spring football is going to 100% help this team overall i think they will be taking a step forward and it's because these guys are going to be forced into action forced to figure it out and look when you're playing against air force and rance connor is on the field no offense to rance connor this guy never played you got you got a chance for things going horribly um what gets you excited for next year we'll end on that what gets you excited for football in 2022 i want to end on a positive note everybody high five and having a good time as they go off to do their things what's going to get you jacked up a little bit for 2022 Rashawn? um you know that there's an opportunity there's new opportunity and at the end of the day while yes i I, it's this is definitely a proven year for me so i am definitely going to be the dude that's going to be up in the uh 
press box with my arms folded. I'm gonna tell y'all that right now. Uh, uh, you're gonna be the, definitely- the 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 gif of the guy that walks into the courtroom, puts his arms together, and stands on the wall and doesn't say anything. Y'all know. What I'm yeah, about? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. hey, <laughs> I, I don't like the, the. I am one guy that while everybody got very excited about everything happening with Pierce Clarkson and getting all this, you know, recruiting mojo and all this stuff, that didn't really move my needle at all. Um, you know, that they, they did their job. You know, they're getting the hype going. Everybody's excited about. But I, I am. This is all about a prove it year for me, and I think that with the schedule that Louisville has, they're going to have an opportunity to easily, and I will repeat, easily get to at least eight wins yeah, in in twenty twenty two. So I need to see at least eight wins. You know, damn near nine. Yep. At this point, with this team, with what you have coming back and Malik coming back for a fifth year, um, I expect to be at at minimum eight, but hopefully nine wins. So that's, you know, it's that excitement of, you know, it's a new year. We have an opportunity. We hit all the right notes. Louisville was A plus after the season, after Air Force was over. Every note that they've struck since then has been absolutely an A plus. But now it's about show it to me. And I think that's where I'm excited about is to see if you can put your money where your mouth is. Because if it's not, I'm going to crucify your ass on wake up 502 every (laughs) saturday morning guaranteed i love the plug (laughs) (laughs) so seamless you can tell this man works in radio oh my goodness all right all right haven now ending the show what gets you excited well i'm excited to the most the new coaches i'm excited to see what type of energy adjustments that the new coaches bring to the staff. That's what I'm most excited to see. How they impact the game going forward for us. Yeah, it, it I speaking on that, it, it's hard not to get excited about well maybe getting excited about coaching structures maybe a little bit too in the football nerdy. But it's such like, a Louisville thing to do. Get excited it is super nerdy. <laughs> It is super nerdy, but it's so important. You know, football yeah. is was one of those games that is so coach dependent. Yes. It is super coach dependent. Your coaches make all the difference in the world between if you're going to be a world beater or if you're going to suck ass. You know, your, <laughs> your, your coach your coach is everything. And I want I, I want to see like what impact these guys have on the team. I mean, you look on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to have an OC again after not having one in last year, which I thought was a mistake from the get-go. And not only do you have an OC, the guy that is your OC coached two Heisman finalists in the last five years. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, Brian Brown's a good guy, but he does have his weaknesses. And then you have a guy who kind of provides the checks and balances to him, like you mentioned earlier in the show in Wes McGriff. And based on what we've heard early, they they the guys really like him. They they really like Taylor. And then with this final hire that should be announced at some point this week with Nick Cardwell. I mean, I mean, it's hard to get ex- to really make waves with the tight end coach coming in, but he's been here before and he was a huge energy guy. I mean, we saw in 19 how he was always the guy on top of the uh pile, like getting guys fired up and like little will we'll yeah. benefit from an energy standpoint. And then you bring in Dion Branch, which fans have been clamoring for them to bring in the an alumni for player development purposes for a while. I mean, and other than Eric Wood, I mean, Dion Branch was like the guy to bring in. And then you bring in a guy ben, from the strength coach, Ben Souders, baby. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if you're going to bring in someone, if you're going to bring in someone to be your strength coach, who better than to grab someone from the SEC who just won a national freaking title? I mean, yeah, man. this, like I said, it sounds incredibly football nerdy to get excited about a freak about a strength and conditioning coach hire but when you get a dude with his pedigree i, yeah, mean, I mean it opens up a lot more done. potential yeah guys on the level and that's what i want to see what impact they have on the program um guys who've done the highest level who's played in uh in, in college football playoffs who's played for teams whose expectations are to play in the college football playoffs every year you know, you guys got, you know, we get guys from Florida, Notre Dame, and, and Georgia. That, that's what they do. They expect to play in the playoffs every year. Yeah. And they played I mean, at those I, programs that have the expectation, that have that pressure. So I, I, I'm excited to see how that filters down 
to the rest of the App State staff that's still left over. I mean, I think that that's what we're talking about. We, you know, we believe in the abilities of these coaches, but it's about the attitude. And the hope is that you bring in these new coaches with this influx of, you know, big time power five uh, mentality yeah. is that this will kind of change the attitude overall of the staff and get that aggressiveness where it needs to be to be successful moving forward. And I think that's the biggest thing because it's not about the X's and O's at this point, gentlemen. I think that the, the talent is there. It is the attitude and the aggressiveness and that injection of life that's needed to take the next step. And if they can do that, then they'll be successful this year. All right, that is going to wrap it up here. Great stuff from our guys from Main Event Sports. This is the, this has been a, one of the more fascinating episodes for me. Just hearing um, an opinion that is far different than the one that I hold in Scott Satterfield and the staff from last year. Uh, you guys are fantastic in kind of arguing uh, the the struggles. I mean, you're stating the office with what's happened the last few years, but good to end on a little bit of positivity there. I like that we can come a little kumbaya moment as a group uh, and celebrate the Louisville football because um, I think yeah. we're headed towards an exciting year. Yeah, this this whole episode wasn't the player haters ball. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Fantastic. <laughs> we always keep it real, man. That's what we oh, do. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Well, listen, speaking of keeping it real, where can the, the fans who don't know who you guys are, don't know where to, to listen to you, where can they find you uh, on the radio, on the websites, on the Twitters? Where where can the, the folks find your work? Well, you guys can, can listen to Haven and myself every Saturday morning on uh, on uh, Big X Sports Radio, 96.1 FM, 1450 AM, 9 to 11 AM. Uh, you can check us out there. You can also check us out um, at our Facebook uh, page at the Main Event Sports Radio. Haven uh, leads a outstanding podcast that uh, is always chock full of talent so you can check us out there um at r-a-a-s-h-a-a-n or at m-e sports on twitter fantastic stuff make sure you guys are following them thank you guys for tuning in so much been a great episode we are not done this week we keep it rolling we've got more episodes coming we've got eric mclean from the acc network joining us tomorrow going to give us a little bit of a national perspective of the louisville football program Uh, And then next week, we'll dive into spring football with Lottie Stockwell. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.